Thank you for tuning in to the Everyday Christian Podcast, a work of Scattered Abroad, which is overseen by the East Hill Church of Christ in Pulaski, Tennessee. You can find our website at scatteredabroad.org. In this podcast, we show that God deserves every praise from every creature every day. Here is your host, Chase Green. Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 7 of the Everyday Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Chase Green. And before we get started with today's podcast lesson, I wanted to give a highlight of one of our Scattered Abroad Network podcasts. And this week, I'm highlighting the Weathering the Storm podcast with Drew Suttles. This is a podcast that helps us in weathering the storms of life by looking to and sustaining an unwavering faith in God. Drew is a very good student of the Bible and a very capable speaker, and I know that you will profit greatly from studying his lessons on the Weathering the Storm podcast. So go check him out and all of our other podcasts on the Scattered Abroad Network website at scatteredabroad.org. For today's episode, we're going to continue our discussion with Brett Rutherford about Noah's flood, and we've been talking about the Grand Canyon and erosion, uh, rapid erosion that took place in the Oroville Dam in California, uh, erosion that took place with lava in Mount St. Helens, and we're going to begin discussing some fossils and so on. So I hope that you'll stick around and listen to this episode of the Everyday Christian Podcast. So what about erosion? Uh, we've already mentioned the Grand Canyon and uh, the Colorado River in the Grand Canyon. Evolutionist uniformitarianism would say that that Colorado River over millions and millions and millions of years slowly carved out through erosion the Grand Canyon. I've actually been to the Grand Canyon last year, and one of the things that I immediately noticed when I looked at that grand expanse of a canyon, all the little nooks and crannies of this canyon, there are literally probably millions of them, all kinds of different directions. It doesn't make sense to me at all that one river would form an immense canyon like that in all these different sprouting directions when you have one free-flowing river. Yeah, that's right. I think, obviously, you have to have a, a larger body of water to do that sort of a carving of the landscape. And it's truly remarkable to see all of those various inlets of the canyon and uh, to attribute all of that to a really a very, uh, uh, I guess you would describe it as a, well, tiny river by comparison. Right. Uh, you know, at one stage, uh, if uh, that's caused by water erosion, Right. Of, uh, of what was there once, which was a large body of water 
receded. Right, and it all kind of funneled or drained into that that basin of an area there. Um, a good example of of how quickly water can destroy land and completely just erode it away would be that Oroville Dam that burst in California a couple years ago. And that, in a matter of days, uh, not months, not years, days, it carved out quite a bit of the land that was around that dam that burst. So that's a, an example our, our listeners may want to look into. Another example that doesn't deal with water, but something similar, uh, lava, which uh, probably would have most likely been involved in the flood as well with those fountains breaking open. Um, the, the Mount St. Helens, uh, a canyon was essentially formed when Mount St. Helens erupted from lava in a matter of days as well. Well, volcanic, of course, activity can reshape a landscape in a, a number of different ways very quickly. So, um, you know, the world today looks nothing like it did uh, pre-flood, obviously. Uh, the, the entire landscape of the world has been completely transformed. Uh, so exactly what the world looked like uh, pre-flood is, is hard to know exactly, but uh, certainly it's different uh, because of uh, things like you mentioned. Right. Some uh, one thing that I was reading was that fossils have been found of, of tropical plants and uh, more tropical kind of animals up near the poles and really throughout the world. Yeah, that's right. In fact, even fossilized animals have been found in Antarctica. Uh, dinosaurs have been found in Antarctica. Uh, there's a dinosaur, and I find it difficult to pronounce its name, uh, but um, it's a cryo. Uh, forests or cryos, just, I don't know. But anyway, it's hard. It's one of the most difficult uh, names to pronounce. Uh, but that was discovered, the fossil remains of this dinosaur, this reptile, uh, in Antarctica. And so, you know, it doesn't make sense that that would be there uh, in this very cold place. And, of course, tropical uh, ferns and so forth, things of that nature have also, remnants of those have been found as well. So, uh, obviously... Uh, the world had a more even temperature from pole to pole uh, than, of course, it has today. So there has been climactic uh, climate change, I guess you might call it. That's a popular term today. There certainly was a big climate change uh, back in the uh, days of the flood. Uh, so we don't deny that uh, climate right. change. But yes, so things have definitely transformed since that day. Right. I, I've kind of read that. Um, it's very possible that the Earth shifted on its axis, and um, perhaps a 23-and-a-half-degree and shift, uh, which I believe is what the tilt is now, uh, if it would have been more perpendicular, uh, that would have evenly just distributed the sun's rays throughout the year, and you would not have had seasons, really, uh, until that shift took place. That could definitely explain how uh, the world was vastly different before the flood, and um how, you know, tropical animals were and plants were throughout the globe, uh, even in those polar places that are now uh, tundra-type uh, locales. And then another thing is perhaps a canopy effect of, uh, you know, God describes that rain coming down uh, during the flood and how there was a canopy above the earth uh, or a firmament and... Perhaps that was, was water vapor that was held 
uh, above the earth in such a way that it filtered out a lot of the UV rays of the sun, and that would explain the longer lifespans of, of, of men and, and animals as well, um, and the, the enormous sizes that, that were able to be attained uh, because, for instance, reptiles, they grow throughout their life. Well, if they're living 20 times as long as they live today, it makes sense that they would have gotten much, much bigger uh, during those times. And uh, just kind of the, the releasing of that canopy in the flood and all the rain coming down for 40 days and 40 nights, it very well could be that that drastically altered the climate as well and a, a cooling effect. And then, of course, God bringing in a great wind that dried out uh, the inundated earth such that uh, that probably would have brought on an ice age. And we have kind of the remnants of that ice age today uh, with the, the ice at the poles. Is that right? That's right. And I think, you know, we talk about ice, you know, the poles melting, of course. Uh, that's a big um, part of the, you know, climate change idea. Uh, the poles melting may just be a part of the correction uh, that stemmed from the flood. It's, it's ongoing. Of course, we don't really know that much about climate, so it's kind of hard to make those kinds of assertions. Um, but, you know, you talked about this canopy, and that's, I think, a very important thing that the Bible talks about, the firmament above. And uh, I think that explains, of course, the great ages of people. The other interesting fact is that uh, reptiles continue to grow all of their life. So we stopped growing when we're about... Uh, 18, you know, and at the most in our early 20s, but they don't. Uh, they keep growing uh, as long as they live. So if you've got dinosaurs living, or you've got reptiles living a long period of time, then obviously they're going to continue to grow and grow to great uh, uh, heights and sizes. So uh, certainly that's the case. Also, it's very interesting. We see in the Bible, of course, the great ages of men. Uh, people like Methuselah and so forth, and even Noah, of course, uh, uh, the character who's the chief character in the flood but, uh, uh, story. But, um, you know, we see these great ages, and that would also sort of back up this idea that we had this kind of uh, canopy uh, around the earth which uh, protected us from those sorts of things. But the other interesting thing is we have the King Sumerian Kings list, um, which lists, uh, you know, the first... Uh, kings of Sumer. Now, I think they're greatly exaggerated, but they list their ages of being thousands of years. Um, and so I think that's a reflection, really, of the fact that men in the past lived a lot longer than they do today. Uh, and so I think that reflects what you were talking about, about the protective canopy that even the records of the ancient Sumerians, one of the first uh, civilizations, of course, that we're aware of, uh, they list their early kings as being extremely old, uh, which is, of course, consistent with what the biblical record tells us as well. So I think that's just an interesting phenomenon that we find there. That is it's definitely fascinating. Um, are there any other evidences you could think of for, for the global, global flood? Well, there's, of course, the... Um, there's a lot of things you could talk about, I mean. <laughs> uh, you know, but uh, there's also the uh, myths and stories of uh, some of the oldest civilizations on the planet. And these are stories and myths that we find all around the planet uh, among uh, different ancient peoples. And so these are also very fascinating. Of course, we've got uh, the ancient Sumerian uh, flood myths. Uh, 
We've got the Epic of Gilgamesh, for example, uh, which talks about uh, this king who is searching for eternal life, and uh, uh, he hears that the man who survived the flood has the key to eternal life, and so he seeks him out, uh, this fellow that he calls Utanapishtim, uh, and um, he gives him a flower, I believe it is, and says that's the key to eternal life. But unfortunately for poor old Gilgamesh, he loses the flower along the way. And so that's sort of the story summed up. But he talks about this individual who survived the great flood. Uh, there are others. There's uh, another uh, ancient uh, Sumerian myth, which is found in old Babylonian text, uh, which talks about a man by the name of Sasudra, uh, who survived the flood, who was the man who was told. In the ancient Greek culture, you have uh, the, the myth of Deucalion and Hera. Uh, so uh, Deucalion, who was the son of Prometheus, uh, he's quite well known, uh, warns Deucalion uh, uh, that uh, you know a great flood is going to be sent by Zeus. Uh, they insert Zeus in there, he's quite angry with the corruption going on with mankind, uh, very similar to uh, the uh, elements that existed in the world that the Bible describes in uh, Genesis. And he sends a flood, and so Prometheus warns Deucalion to build essentially a chest or a box. And that's interesting, too, because uh, that's really the word in the Hebrew that we translate as ark. It's actually a box, you know, uh, a chest, essentially. Uh, so it, it didn't really need a, a sharpened prow or anything like that because it wasn't going in any particular direction. Uh, so it didn't need to cut through the waves. Uh, you know, you mentioned the, the um, uh, ark that was built in near Cincinnati, in Ohio. Um, that's the only thing that I would criticize about it. it. It isn't exactly a representation of what the ark probably looked like. It was more like a box. Uh, and so anyway, we have the, the Greek myth of the Italian Empira, which affirms that. In the Chinese, uh, we talk about the ancient Chinese. This is another one of the oldest civilizations that we know of in China. And we know when we look at the flood myth, uh, if we're searching for things connected to uh, the flood, uh, the word for flood uh, in Mandarin, which of course is a very old language, uh, is uh, a, an image of a boat uh, with eight individuals in there. Uh, and so that's a, a, an amazing sort of reflection of what we read in Genesis chapter 6, uh, that the ark, uh, of course, contained the souls of eight people. So, you know, you have these things all over the world. In ancient Native American uh, myths, you have different things. And so uh, in ancient Egyptian, of course, another very old uh, civilization, uh, you have it reflected in a number of things. Some of the temple art, uh, for example, you have... Uh, the flood being represented. You go into some of the temples, some of the ancient temples, and uh, the first chamber uh, will have uh, just uh, images of flood, of water being painted uh, high up in the chamber, indicating a flood, indicating a body of water. And then as you go through uh, successive chambers to the inner chamber, you see that water start to come down and plants start to emerge. And so the idea, of course, is that all land emerged from a flood. And so the Egyptians took the beginning of their civilization as emerging from a flood. And they represent that in the temple art. Uh, and so that would be logical. They think that the world began by a flood. Well, 
the world that they know began with a flood, you know, uh, and so uh, they were a civilization that rose up post-flood, immediately after the flood. So, uh, but oftentimes you find civilizations, this is also true of Native American uh, myths, you find them attributing their origins uh, to a watery beginning. <laughs> so, uh, I think uh, this also provides great evidence for the flood. In all of these ancient myths we talked about, Sumerian, the old Babylonian, uh, things of this nature, the epic of Gilgamesh, uh, you have this individual who is a, a Noah-type person, uh, and he builds an ark. He's instructed to build a boat. Uh, so, uh, and also, in, in a lot of these myths, the Kalyan and Pira, uh, the myth of Sasudra, uh, the epic of Gilgamesh, you have him landing on a mountain. Um, which is very interesting because that's what we've got in the Genesis account. We have Noah, of course, landing on the mountain of Ballarat. So in all of these stories and myths, these ancient stories and myths, uh, you have a reflection, I think, of something that actually happened. And these uh, civilizations attributed their origins and their beginnings uh, to a watery uh, you know, uh, flood, essentially, uh, which would certainly make sense. So I think it's it's backed up historically through these stories. It certainly makes sense. And, um, you know, how in the world can all these different civilizations in different corners of the globe have such a, a similar story to them about coming from, from this flood? It, it only makes sense. And, you know, shortly after the flood, we have, what, battle and the dispersion that took place. Uh, with the nations going out, so uh, right along that same time frame. And then, uh, as far as these these flood myths are concerned, you mentioned several of them. There are many, many, many more. I want to run through just a, a short list of, of nations that have flood myths, and this is not even the tip of the iceberg. Uh, but you have the Babylonians you mentioned with uh, Gilgamesh uh, coming from, from Babylon. Uh, probably one of the most well-known ones. And then also the Romans, um, the Latin poet Ovid in Metamorphosis is one. Uh, he he tells uh, in a poem the story of someone who survived the flood. The Egyptians, as you mentioned, and what I found interesting about them is that yearly they celebrated on the 17th day of the second month uh, a celebration of this and that corresponds exactly to Genesis 7, verse 11, uh, Noah entering the ark on the 17th day of the second month. That's just fascinating. Uh, the Greeks you mentioned, um, and also found that they, they tied Atlantis in uh, with the flood. They say that uh, Atlantis uh, never came, came back after the flood like the rest of the, rest of the land. Maybe. I, I mean, you never know. Uh, Phrygia. In Phrygia, there has been a coin that was found uh, with an ark on one side and a man receiving a returning bird through the door of the ark uh, on that side of the coin. And then on the other side of the coin, a man and his wife leaving the ark. And the name that is printed on the coin is Noe, uh, N-O-E. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. Um, the Chaldeans, which are similar to the Babylonians, uh, the Persians, they've got flood myths. The Chinese, as you mentioned. And another interesting thing that I, I found 
uh, about the Chinese that you kind of mentioned. Uh, the flood destroyed the human race except for Fahi, is what they called him, Fahi, uh, and also his wife, three sons, and three daughters. So guess what? That's eight people. Um, India. This one was really interesting as well. Uh, India, they call Noah Manu, if I'm pronouncing that right. And they also say that there was eight souls. It was Manu and seven others. And Manu was called the righteous. Well, Noah is called the righteous in the Bible. Um, and the Indian text indicates that he became drunk and naked. And his son Karma, one of his three sons, found him and showed his shame to his other two brothers. And the two brothers then hid him with some clothes. And when Manu came to, he cursed Karma and said, Thou shalt be a servant of servants. Hmm. If you, if you put in the right names, that's pretty much exactly what happens in the Bible uh, with Noah and Ham. It's amazing. And I think when you mention Manu as well, uh, he's considered to be the Adam of the Indians. You know, he's right. the first man there. Again, of course, we would expect these various civilizations to attribute the origins of the world and their beginnings to the flood. Right. Because for them, for all intents and purposes, that was the beginning of the world. Right. Uh, you know, that they do anyway. So, right. Uh, that certainly makes sense. It, it certainly does. It's, uh, it, you know, where did their history start? Well, it started with the spreading out from Noah's sons, Ham, Shem, and Jacob. That's where the history of these civilizations came from. With Ham, we believe he went down into uh, Africa, and Japheth into Europe, and Shem uh, into the Middle East and into Asia. Um, but there's, I mean, there's, it's amazing how many of these stories there are. We could go on and on. The Gypsies of Transylvania, the Welsh up in, in England, uh, Lithuania, uh, Mexico, Sudan, Alaska, the tribes of South America, the tribes of North America, Hawaiians. Uh, the Hawaiians said that there was one man that was righteous, everyone else was wicked, and the man's name was Nu'u, N-U-U. You. Well, that's really close to Noah. And uh, he made a great canoe, and he brought plants and animals on it, and did the god that they called Cain, C-A-N-E, uh, left a rainbow as a token of forgiveness. Well, that, I mean, that's the rainbow element that we have in the Bible. And so there's lots of common themes in these flood myths, um, and increasing wickedness is mentioned in just almost all of them. Uh, wickedness of men, and they would say the gods. Of course, of course, we know there's one god, but in the myths, the gods get mad uh, at civilization because of wickedness. And then, of course, a flood, uh, a boat is a common thing. Animals brought on the boat, another common thing. Uh, one righteous man and his family saved, that's a common thing. Birds being sent out. Several of the ones that I read talked about them sending out birds and then the birds coming back with leaves in their mouth. Uh, and then, of course, the rainbow, which we just mentioned. Several common themes that show that all of these different civilizations that have this story in one way or another in their history, it must be that, that it comes from a common event that all of these civilizations know about. Right. Uh, particularly if you've got so many 
uh, describing uh, one particular event from different areas of the world, not just different areas of the of the area of the country or the region. He thought that could come from all over the world. You have to say that there is a, some common element of truth uh, to uh, these uh, various events that uh, arise. Uh, so you know you can't can't discount that. And uh, of course, that's what they often do. They just ignore a lot of this evidence. I'm sure you covered that when you talked about uh, dinosaurs, that uh, the coexistence of men with dinosaurs is an abundant evidence that shows that. But of course, uh, they overlook that. They don't like to think about that. They put their blinkers on, and uh, we don't want to know about that. Right. Uh, so uh, that's easier for them to deal with that. And I think it all comes down to the fact that they're actually afraid of the idea of God. Uh, you know, they're afraid of this idea of an all-powerful being that sees all. Uh, you know, so uh, they don't like to live under that kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, God or that kind of concept of a divine being that uh, knows everything that they do. So this helps them, you know, ease their mind. Of course, pretending that God doesn't exist and pretending that these things like the blood Which uh, somebody who may not want to spend a month reading a book uh, might find that one useful for sure. Right. Yeah, I have I have that one as well. Um, I have several in my library that I've kind of grabbed, and uh, the cre- the the Genesis flood and the flood were the first two I grabbed and researched for those. So, <laughs> but I've got a big stack of books that that are very good and that uh, can be used to to research all of this. All right, we're going to go ahead and end the episode here for this week. And Lord willing, next week we will finally wrap up our discussion with Brett Rutherford. So I encourage you to tune in next week for the end of this discussion on Noah's Flood. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Scattered Abroad Network. If you would like to email us, you can do so at thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. That's thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. Remember, you can check the show notes below for all of our social media platform links. Also, don't forget that you can find us on all major podcast platforms, and please leave us a rating or review. We hope and pray that this has helped you grow closer to Christ, even though we are scattered abroad. May God bless you.